This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. This is our Monday edition of Invest Talk. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and I welcome you to Invest Talk. This is the weekday financial program that has one clear objective, and that is to help you grow and protect your investments. And of course, we welcome your phone calls and questions at 888 chart. Now, 2019 will be the year of volatility, and it's worth noting that we now have five major tech stocks that are no longer considered bulletproof. Now, while online shopping has hit a new record, $80 billion over the last year, however, it's a demographic shift because about 9 million less shoppers showed up in brick-and-mortar retail stores over the past year, and the economy remains relatively strong. So it's not that they don't want to shop, just that they're shopping a different way, right? Now, Amazon is planning to place stores in airports and stores without cashiers. Now, airports are the places where people tend to spend higher amounts for things purchased on impulse, right? They're limited to their options, so they tend to pay a little higher prices than average, and it's typically for items they believe they must have right then, right before getting on a plane, or maybe visiting a relative, or bringing souvenirs back to a relative. So there's plenty of market news to talk about today, and we will, but I also want you to ask yourself a simple question. Should you invest while saving for a home? How should you invest? I'll get into that in a few minutes, but first, let's make time for a caller question. You know our number, 888-99-CHART. Let's go to Nicholas in San Diego, buying foreclosures. How are you doing, Nicholas? Hey, doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. I bought foreclosures in the past. I have. Yeah, I'm looking in like 101. What do I need to know? What do I need to look out for? Okay. I just want to know what that's all about. Buying foreclosures, uh, you won't be alone, by the way. You'll have competitors out there doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Remember, the foreclosure process starts, Nicholas, when the person stops making payments on his house, okay? Right. The bank tries to work it out with them, and when they can't work it out, the house eventually goes into foreclosure. What the process is, is the bank is actually taking the house because they failed to pay. They're going to own the house. Banks hate taking in foreclosures. So what happens there is a foreclosure sale at the courtroom steps. And there's a person from the bank. There's usually anywhere from two to 10 other people like you and me. The minimum bid is going to be the mortgage amount on that property. Okay, Okay? That will be the minimum bid because the bank will take it. If you made an offer for that same amount and there's no other offers, you get the house. The trick, Nicholas, is you have to pay cash. And you have to pay it in the form of a cashier's check at the courtroom steps. Okay. So what happens is you've got to have that money in your hand. You've got to have a cashier's check in your hand. What I did is let's say it's a foreclosure of $300,000. I would bring a $275,000 cashier's check and then about 10 more of five or 10,000 increments because right. you don't know exactly what it is. So you, you usually overpay and they'll send you the money back that you overpaid because you had to sign over these cashier's checks. I see. That's the process. The difficult problem is is having the cash. Now, what happens after they buy the house? The bank, let's say the bank takes it back. Mm-hmm. No one's offering to buy it. 
Now the bank has got a real problem. They will immediately put it out for sale, and they're going to try to get this, do the same thing, try to get the minimum bids. When you see a foreclosure sale for sale by a broker, always lowball it. And then if you don't get it, just walk away. There will be millions more. That's how it works. Yeah, because in our neighborhood, uh, when my wife looked up uh, some foreclosure listings online, I'm not sure where she got it from, but she's looking at one that was $17,000, and in the area that she was looking at, the houses over there are going for around 500 mm-hmm. So I was wondering if uh, that was realistic no. or if that's outrageous. Nope, you'll never find something like that. Okay. The 17000 might be the amount he's underwater. I see. You can buy that 17000 take over the loan, and you would have the property. That means you have to take over the loan and pay the 17000 Oh, I see. So it's not that great of a it deal. It's not that great. Don't know. Never is. Never. Okay. I Thank see. you. Let's appreciate the call. Thank you much. Let's go to Frank and Blythe. How you doing, Frank? I have a question about where I should be putting my investment dollars. I've got several hundred going into my 401 and about the same amount going into my 457. And then I'm also doing a small monthly amount into a just a brokerage account that I'm playing on the stock market. Should I be switching some of those funds into the Roth IRA? How old are you? 42. Uh, do you have a current Roth IRA? No, I do not. You have a 401k? I have a 401k and a 457. Okay, are you currently working at the place where the 401k is established? Yes. Okay, so you got to leave it there. The 457, is that a current active 457 account? Yes. So you got to leave both those there. So you really can't do anything with a Roth IRA with those monies. And if you're making too much money on an annual basis, you can't mm-hmm. even open up any IRA. So it depends on how much money you're making, Frank. You might be making way too much. You might be one of those rich guys. I wish. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we all wish, okay? 401k and 457 for everybody else. Those are retirement types of accounts. Frank, you're 42. If you're going to open up a retirement account, either an IRA or Roth IRA, it should be probably the Roth IRA, not the okay. regular IRA. But you may be precluded with these retirement accounts you have, and you have to talk to your tax guy or your accountant. Because he knows how much money you're making. He can tell you, okay, yeah, you can do it. And you can do that like March or just before tax time and open it for this year. Next year, you can open it for the year before. Oh, okay. I can still take the deduction. Correct. Now, the deduction is on a regular IRA. A Roth IRA, you do not. You pay with after-tax dollars. But all the growth that you have over the next years, you never have to pay a tax dollar on anything that grows in that Roth IRA. Okay. I guess I'm kind of looking to as... I'm putting money into the stock market to a real stable one. Would I be better off putting those monies that I'm putting into that into the Roth? Probably, because you can invest it in the same things. Oh, okay. Let's say your uh, current account is at E-Trade. Right. You can open up a Roth at E-Trade, a Roth IRA. Okay. And and you can trade it the same. If I trade within the Roth IRA, is that money still non-taxable? All non-taxable, yes. That is cool. Okay. All right. That's why I'm thinking, do it. You know, it's got some nice advantages. That'd be sweet. Frank, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you. Now, today's main talking point, the U.S. has surpassed Russia and Saudi Arabia as the world's largest energy producer. So we're going to talk about four things you need to know about the future of U.S. energy. So look into that. Now, some of the other topics I have on the schedule for you today as well include the jobs report. Uh, I know Steve talked about it a little bit on Friday, but... I want to dig into the details a little bit more and what does that say about the overall economy. Next, the IMF uh, president recently left, but
but on his way out the door, he had some things to say about the global economy and the U.S. economy as well. And then lastly, Uber and Lyft have filed to IPO. And the big question is, what happens next? What's their valuation? And is this something you should be considering as well? So we're going to talk about all of those things on today's show. Right? We know the Fed is starting to become data dependent, even though they're probably going to continue to raise here this month. I think uh, next week is when they raise rates. It's not whether they raise rates that matter. It's what they say about 2019. And many of their dot plots are saying three times they're going to raise in 2019. Do they stick to that? Does that change? Does their narrative change? Uh, do they become more data dependent, which I like think they will? Does tr Do Trump and China uh, come to some sort of agreement? Uh, I think that's still a ways off. I don't think that's uh, imminent by any means. Uh, but the more it becomes obvious that there is going to be a, a trade agreement, I think the market will find some strength there. Uh, and, and then lastly, is the the economy is slowing. Uh, we've, I've talked about this for a while, uh, but is it slowing back to where we were pre-tax cuts, you know, in the 2% range of, of GDP growth? Or are we sliding below that into the 1%, maybe closer to a recession? Uh, and I think that is still yet to be seen as well. So that's why you're seeing a lot of chop, a lot of volatility, because I don't think the market really has made up its mind, its mind which way it wants to go. Now, I'm Justin Klein, and I invite you to check out our new online training experience. It's called Invest Talk Academy. It is open now for you to sign up. Now, after a quick one-minute break, I will be back with an answer to the question, should you invest while saving for a house? But now I'm ready to take your questions at 888-99-CHART. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 99CHART, 888 is how you get through and ask your question on today's show. So let's say you're young and hoping to soon buy your first home. And the big question is should you invest while also saving for a home? We found uh, this story at bankrate.com. I think we all agree that the one of the most important financial goals is saving for retirement, putting money in your 401k, IRA. Uh, and that can be sidelined if you're trying to save for a home. Now you might think you're going to live somewhere now, retirement may seem impossibly far away, but that kind of thinking can be very, very short-sighted and you might not be able to max out your 401k contributions while also saving for a home. But saving some retirement money, some retirement money is better than not saving at all, right? Uh, so just be aware of that. Be uh, conscious that it's it should be a priority in all time frames, all scenarios. Uh, and if your employer matches your four hundred one k contributions, then you have to contribute up to that match. It's just it's just financial. I don't want to say suicide, but it's very detrimental to your health. So the minimum you should save is that matched contribution because it's free money. Now, savers can also put some money into a 401k, maybe, uh, sorry, not 401k, an IRA, an IRA, a Roth IRA, 
that allows you to get pre-tax money or post-tax money, depending if it's a Roth IRA, uh, and then down the line, you don't pay taxes on it. And if you plan to buy a house within five years or less, then you probably don't want to save your house money in something volatile like the stock market. Right? The stock market is for people who can keep their money in long term. But for short-term savers who are looking to use that capital, you want to look for CDs, FDIC-insured products, so that you don't lose it. You want to make a little bit of money. and uh, Granted, interest rates are not great. They're a little better than they used to be. Uh, but you, you want to make sure that you're keeping it safe. And you can do that within an IRA or a Roth IRA. Remember that. Uh, so I think a Roth IRA is actually a good vehicle to put in for a house because you can take the money you put in out at any time. Now today's market volatility makes it plain that it takes plenty of persistent discipline to build a strong investment portfolio and to fund your retirement savings. So when you get to the point where you realize you would benefit from professional unbiased guidance, I encourage you to reach out to myself and Steve at KFP Financial. You can call our Dana Point California office or send us a message through investtalk.com. Now we're headed into a break. John from Santa Cruz is on hold. And if you give us a call, you will be on next. So give us a call at 888-99-CHART. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 99 Chart is our number, 888 992 Cliff in Pacific Beach. How are you doing, Cliff? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Most of us are contributing into some sort of retirement account, right? Yes. I happen to contribute into the TSP, the U.S. government. Got it. I just bumped mine a $100 contribution a pay period. Okay. My check went down $41. Your paycheck went, then they matched money for you? No, negative. It took that much off my taxes. And, ah. and I'm not a wealthy man. And my daughter happens to work for the government, and so does my son-in-law. So I happen to mention my daughter. She says, well, Daddy, I have the 50-cent rule. Every time you take a dollar out, for, put it in the TSP, your check only goes down 50 cents. Well, it seems to me that mitigates a lot of the risk. It does mitigate a lot of risk. And when the way you're doing it, Cliff, with the, every paycheck, that's called dollar cost averaging? Absolutely. As the prices come down, depending on how many years left you have, how old are you? Older than you, son. Uh-oh. If you have five years, three to five to seven years left, you kind of want the market to be a little bit under pressure oh, yeah. downward because you're buying more and more shares. Then, just a year or two before you retire, you want it to shoot up. Well, <laughs> I'm on the old system, so I don't I don't particularly care. Yeah, you're on the pension system? Yeah, but my yeah. daughter, she's in the other. The, the 401k new- type system? Right. And or the 403B or whatever they call it these yeah, days. Yeah, and there's there's great choices to choose from. And, uh, but it makes a lot of difference. It, it, she yeah. makes a, a very little money in the 
50 cents on the dollar, it, it sure helps out. You certainly want to do that. Yep. Uh, Cliff, appreciate the call. Thank you. Thank you. Dennis in Oakland. How you doing, Dennis? I'm doing great, Steve. Thanks for the call. Uh, I'm 65, and I'm putting some money in the Roth IRA for the next two years, like 24K, okay. with my wife and I. Okay. And I think I should just do it. I don't need the money, so I think I should just put it in aggressive for the next 20 years, and then it, when I'm 85, then there'll be a nice nest egg, additional nest egg. What do you think of that idea? If you don't need the money, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, I don't need the money, so. See, that's the key, because you're at retirement age, quote-unquote retirement age, if you don't need the money and you're willing to let it ride for a number of years, all that growth that the Roth grows for all those years, there's no tax consequence. Not one nickel Do you think the government crisis. might change their mind? I don't think so. Think of the hue and cry that would cause, Dennis. No way. You and I, we'd be marching on Washington, wouldn't we? No, I don't think it wouldn't be abused, yeah. <laughs> so I don't think they're going to change their rules on that. I really don't. There would be such a backlash that... Everybody who ever even thought about it would get voted out of office. So I don't see it happening. Dennis, I appreciate the call. I really do. Thank you. Thank you. Managing multiple mutual funds, researching professional services, where to put your savings. If it's about money and if it's important to you, we want to know more about it. We're here for you. 888-99-CHART is how to reach Steve or Justin right now on Invest Talk. George, Aliso Viejo. How are you doing, George? I'm doing fine today. I'm I'm in the dilemma of the fear and greed again. Aren't we all? I'm looking at retirement in six to nine months. Oh, good for you. Now, in my 401k, I, I don't have very many choices. Uh, I have been in a large cap fund, mm-hmm. about a third of that there, and a third in a small cap, and then a third in an international fund. Okay. Now, at this point, it does, you know, there's no cost for me or tax implications or anything, should I start drawing some of that out of there and get in a cash position because yes. I'm going to have to change it anyway? Yes, you should, George, and I'm saying that because of your pending retirement. Right. It's time for you, you, now everybody listen up, it's time for George to get a little bit more conservative, and I would start taking some money, and if it was me, I'd take some from each one of those three categories. I wouldn't just dump one of them. I oh, no, I was thinking of just maybe sell half in each one and just go to a, a, a basically a cash position. I would do that. That would produce now is you got 50% in cash and 50% in the market. And are you about 60-something? 60 62. Yeah. And see, at 62, that would be a much safer and a, more of a proper balance unless you have lots of other assets that's not in your 401k that's conservative. Well, the ones I have outside of that are not conservative, although I'm shifting it over a little bit. Okay. But that money was my growth money that I don't need for income that I want to keep and grow and have available in in five or six years. Okay, and I think that's perfect. So this money, I think you need to get more conservative. I agree with you 100%. The other money that you don't need for five or six years can stay aggressive, but start getting conservative with this retirement IRA 401k money. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate the call. David Berkeley. How you doing, David? Pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for calling. My question has to do with the fact that my son is getting married in December, and to pay for my part of the wedding, I need to generate some liquid cash. Okay. And I was thinking of one of two ways to do that. One is I have a Roth IRA, Mm -hmm. which I have about $85,000. Okay. I also have a couple of index mutual funds that I would have to sell to get the cash. Okay. 
that I would have to pay some capital gains. Uh-huh. I was wondering which might be the better way to go to generate that cash. Let me ask you how old you are, David. I'm 63. Okay, so are you able to take money out of that Roth without any tax consequences? I am. It's been over five years. Okay. I'm really opposed to paying taxes wherever possible. <laughs> okay, yeah. If you have no other sources, and those are the only two choices you're giving me, I would go with the Roth. And I'd rather see you stay in at least for the next three months. I would wait as long as I can, even in the Roth. Uh, you want to just play the odds and see if you can get a little bit extra growth out of it. And I'd take it out of the Roth just because of the tax issues. Okay. Okay? Very yes. helpful. Thanks, David. Thank you very I pre- much. Appreciate the call. Now, tomorrow on Invest Talk, we're going to talk about economic fears uh, exaggerated and the stock market is overreacting. Is that true? The time is now. And if you act now, the benefit to your financial future could be measurably significant. This is your chance to sharpen your investing skills through a valuable online classroom learning opportunity Invest Talk Academy. Enrollment in Invest Talk Academy will introduce you to a weekly series of live investing classes conducted by KPP Financial Principals and Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. You'll profit from a critical degree of focused mentoring led by Steve and Justin. Hear their full analysis of the market, follow along with charts and data points, understand technical and fundamental analysis, develop the mindset to become a successful investor. Invest Talk Academy offers an unprecedented value for serious investors. Register now at investtalkacademy.com. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. 888 chart 888 Our main talking point today is about the future of the U.S. energy market and the energy landscape here in the U.S. has changed a lot over the past 20 years or so. You know, d- during the turn of the millennium, many assumed that U.S. production had entered a permanent decline. However, currently, the nation has surpassed countries like Russia and even Saudi Arabia as the world's largest energy producer. And it all has to do with fracking and shale. You know, there's been a revolution there, and it uh, has changed long-term forecasts that bring the nation closer to energy dependence. Sorry, sorry, independence, shall we say. Now, the nation is now forecast to become energy independent by 2020. That's 13 months from now. Now, declining production at less successful wells due to lower crude prices uh, might push that off a little bit. Uh, But in general, it has allowed us to become an oil exporter. I think it was last month was the first time we were net exporters of energy. That's one month. It's not a year time frame. But it just shows how far we have come. So I don't see that changing, to be honest with you. Uh, And it's actually going to lower our overall cost of energy 
long term uh, because we're not going to rely on these foreign sources and it's going to be a lot less volatile as well. But it also is going to cut into areas of the market like wind and solar, right? alternative energies. Now the, the mix of alternative energy has increased from about 8% in 2008 to 13% in 2015. You know, now we're probably up in the closer to the 15% uh, level. So you've seen a, a, still a big improvement in how much energy we're getting from wind and solar. The, the price of solar conversion has dropped by 9% since 2013. And that's, I think, only going to continue. And solar is going to become more and more affordable for private businesses and individuals as well. Now, wind energy market has also grown at a 25.8% annual rate in the last 10 years. And we currently rank third in the world behind China and the EU uh, for wind energy production. So uh, that's, I think, only going to continue. What's interesting, however, is that our need for energy is actually declining. U.S. electricity demand peaked in 2007 because appliances are getting more efficient, right? We now have, everyone has LED TVs instead of tube TVs. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're refrigerators and stoves and everything are just a lot more efficient. And this has actually broken our carbon emission. Total emissions are down 9.7% since 2007's all-time high. Coal generation peaked uh, above 50% uh, back then, but has now dropped to 39% of our, our energy. So remember that. So a lot of people think like electric cars, you're, you're, it's zero emission. It's not really zero emission. Right? Because you're still getting that energy from somewhere and still 39% of energy produced in America is coming from coal. Now that's declined uh, a, a large part because of natural gas, the cheapness of natural gas. Uh, also, our cars are becoming a lot more efficient as well. So we're, we're our, our government's really gotten ahead of the curve and they plan uh, to cut emissions going forward up to 28% by the middle of next decade. So uh, it's certainly a, a very interesting change in the way we produce energy. And I think these trends are likely only to continue. And the big driver has to do with shale. Michael, Half Moon Bay. How you doing, Michael? Okay, I don't know a whole lot about this subject. So okay. I think it's a pretty good question, though. I worked for a company... I invested in my stock. I bought it outright when I left the company. It's still privately held company. It has not gone public. But it was just recently purchased by a, I guess the term is a blank check company that's oh. already public. Uh -huh. I don't know what that means for me and my stock. I got a, a letter saying that they were going to purchase my stock back from me. But I was kind of holding out till it goes to common stock. But I'm not sure if I'm capable. It doesn't sound like they're going to let me do that. No, since it's a private company, it's not a public company, you don't have much say. Okay. Uh, they're going to buy all the stock. question in your mind is, what are you going to buy it for? How much? 
Well, they made an offer to me, but I'm like, I don't know that if I do have an opportunity to go back and say, no, I want to sell you it for this much and see uh, what they say. If your stock has a voting power, do you know if it does? Voting? I don't think I have enough for a voting power, no. Yeah, see, most of the voting power is probably held by the insiders, the people who... Exactly. Okay, and those guys are going to make the decision, you or not. Uh, You're going to have to follow on their coattails. Unfortunately, the option that would be left to you is filing suit as a, a minority shareholder that right. you feel and you're getting a shaft and the majority shareholders are getting the benefits and you're not. Right. That does happen, but it's extremely expensive and you don't want to go that way. It's a nice little chunk and I'm happy, mm -hmm. but I had absolutely different plans for that yeah. money. And so they messed it up for you. Well, I mean, at least something happened with it. It's been a while, you know what I mean? So uh, yes. I feel I feel good about that. Now, what would you think about taking some of that money and buying it into the company that just bought? If you feel that the fundamentals of the company, that, of the shares that you own, if you feel that's really going to benefit this new company and it's really going to accelerate this new public company's earnings, then yeah, that's a okay. good way to go. If it's so small, the company that you, stock that you own, if it's like 5% or 10% of the company that's buying it, then it will make no difference. You have to look at the company that's buying it to make sure that they're solid. Right, right. So okay. take a look at the relative size and what it really is going to do to their earnings. Okay. Well, good luck with it, Michael. Well, thank you very much. You were very helpful. I appreciate the time. Thank you for calling. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and I hope you are making the right choices with your 401k money or your 403b, 457, etc. We have some math-based models to guide you in and out of the market. We can monitor and advise, and then you take the action. You can read more about it. It's called Active 401k. You can read more about it at investtalk.com. Now, we're, there's still time for you to give us a call and for us to take your investing questions. So why don't you call our 888-99-CHART-ANYTIME number. That's 888-992-4278. This is Invest Talk. Made possible by KPP Financial, where their commitment to reason and common sense guidance can help make you a better investor. We are headed into the final trading sessions of 2018, and now may be a smart time for you to ask KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein for help with your portfolio. Start with a no-obligation phone call to the KPP Financial Office in Dana Point, California, or send Steve and Justin a message through investtalk.com. The InvestTalk radio and podcast continues now. The phone lines are open, and you can call with your questions. 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve. My name is Ryan from San Diego, and I listen to you on podcast. Um, I had a question about limited partnerships and master limited partnerships, wondering what the differences are in those two or if they're the same. And then if I was to uh, purchase a security um, in a limited or master limited partnership, if I should hold it in my IRA account, my Roth IRA, or um, regular securities brokerage. I've heard there's and read that there's some interesting tax implications that I don't quite understand. So I was wondering if you could explain those. Thank you. Absolutely. Good question. Uh, he's looking at probably master limited partnerships, which is a typical structure. If it's not a corporate structure or a REIT, uh, you know, you're looking 
uh, a lot of the, the energy names that are master, master limited partnerships. And there have been some changes to the laws, and some of them I think are going to revert back to corporations. But in general, uh, that you do, if you own a master limited partnership or a limited partnership in any form, you're going to get a K1 at the end of the year, from, uh, and it'll give you a, a, so your tax implications for being an owner of that limited partnership. Uh, and there are some big negative drawbacks if you own a limited partnership and get a certain level of income uh, per year in a tax deferred account like a 401k or an IRA. And so you do not want to do that. You want to put that into your regular brokerage account. You'll get your K-1. It'll be added to your uh, your income for the year, etc. Now, I'm not a tax professional, so I... I, I, I I know that there are some intricacies that, that change based on your income and situation, but in, in general, it's poor, it's not a good idea at least to be having a 401 or a limited partnership within a 401k or an IRA. So I hope that's uh, there's some clarification there and saves you a bit of headache going forward. Thanks for the call. Let's talk a little bit about the jobs report that came out on Friday. I'm sure Steve touched on it a little bit. But I wanted to touch on it as well. Now, the jobs report came in at 155,000 jobs created in the month of November. Unemployment remained unchanged at about 3.7%, but that 155 number was a little bit worse than expected. And the previous month's numbers were revised down slightly as well. And the average over the past year it has been about 204,000 jobs, and the average over the last quarter has been 170,000 jobs created. So the, the jobs report clearly has brought down those averages in both cases, and it's just showing that the economy continues to slow. It's not a recession, but it's slowing. We're not in a booming uh, economy like we were earlier than in the year based on nice stimulus you know tax cuts are economic stimulus and it was a pretty interesting time to do it especially as we're it's been pushing the fed or forcing the fed's hand to continue to raise interest rates and now as the economy gets back uh to uh, an environment where there isn't tax cuts right there isn't that tailwind Right? Because when you're looking at GDP, you're looking at the last year's GDP. You're comparing it, what happened in this quarter last year and where we are today. And when uh, we go into 2019, you're going to have very tough comps for the uh, the 2018 uh, the comparisons, right? So that is what you're seeing, is you're seeing the economy slow because of that. And then you're also seeing higher cost of capital, right? Interest rates are no longer extremely low they're just pretty low and you've had an economy that's been addicted to mortgage rates at three and a half four percent auto loan rates at you know a uh, very low rates corporate bond rates very very low all of those things have a just, it might not seem a lot but the cost of capital is 20 30 percent higher in, in many instances and so that's why Many economists are projecting a slowdown in 2019 and possibly recession in 2020. Now, the missing ingredient over this recent boom in, in jobs has been wage growth. And you're starting to see paychecks grow, paycheck growth pick up. 
They grew 3.1% over the last year, and that's pretty strong. And what it's showing is that employers are having a tough time filling their jobs, filling jobs with qualified people in their area, right? Because not only do people have to be typically well qualified for what you what you need, but they also have to live in your area, and uh, it can be hard to to move uh, locations. Uh, and clearly, employers are having a tough time with that. Now, the retail sector, which usually hires a lot for the holiday season, didn't have the employment growth that many expected. But there were some strong sectors, healthcare, transportation, warehousing, manufacturing. Those all did very, very well. But in general, it was a weaker than expected number. And it just shows, once again, 2019 will be back to where we were pre-tax cuts and likely 2020 we could see a recession, especially if the Fed continues to tighten. Now, I think we can squeeze in another question. This came in earlier on Anytime Listener Line at 888 chart Hi, guys. This is Kent in Texas. Hey, I've got about 1% of my portfolio in GE Capital bonds that mature in 2022. Is GE going to go bankrupt? What are your thoughts on it? Should I try to sell these bonds or hang on? All right. Thanks. Bye. Well, that's a tough one. I, I thought he was going to ask about GE stock, but he's asking about the bonds. Uh, are they going to go bankrupt? I do think GE is likely going to go bankrupt. I think they've had just terrible management over the past decade or so that has lopped on a ton of debt and mismanaged GE capital. Uh, just an anecdotal story. I have a cousin who's in the investment banking world, does not work for GE, uh, but She's told me uh, that she's you know, she she competes with GE, uh, and she's seen some of the deals that GE has put together, GE Capitals put together from a finance perspective, and the, she would never invest in them. She thinks they're terrible deals, so uh, she doesn't feel very confident in their ability to control costs, make good deals, make smart deals, uh, and that just is starting to come out to come to come to fruition uh, with their their uh, their bonds with their stock and I do think they will go bankrupt now I don't know where they're trading what you can get for them uh, I don't know if you get more in bankruptcy than the trading for now that happens sometimes you know you can buy a stock a bond in bankruptcy uh, before bankruptcy and the recovery value is higher than what you paid uh, which can happen as well. Uh, so I don't know the price, but GE is probably going bankrupt. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. Our Monday is wrapping up soon, so I want to get your call in. So give me a call at 888 chart. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99 Chart, 888 99 C H A R T, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Let's go to Matt and Cupertino. How you doing, Matt? Uh, thanks for taking my call. A quick question for you is curious in your opinion versus mutual bond funds or individual bond ladders. I would rather see you buy a ladder of individual bonds than bond funds. Mm hmm. You know why? Tell me. Okay. <laughs> That's why I'm calling. Okay. Bond funds now, you got to remember what a bond fund does. It buys a bunch of bonds. So you get nice diversification. That's a big plus, okay? Mm -hmm. But the net asset value of that bond fund 
will go up and down depending on interest rates, okay? Mm -hmm. So if interest rates are moving up and you have a bond fund, the net asset value of that fund will go down. You'll still get your yield, in other words, the dividends that are coming in through those bonds. You'll still get those. But if your yield is 5% and the bond fund net asset value goes down 5%, you're no further along. If you buy the bonds direct and you buy a good spread of very safe bonds, I'm not interested in high-risk stuff. We're, talk, we're talking about very safe stuff. If you buy them and hold them to maturity, they also will go up and down in value, but you will always get your money back plus the yield if you hold them to maturity. Whereas in a bond fund, that doesn't happen. Even though they may hold them to maturity, but the bond fund value goes up and down based on the interest rates. So you can buy a personal bond and you can buy it and hold it and it will go up and down in value. But if you hold it to maturity, you'll get that money back. That's not necessarily so in a bond fund. That makes total sense. You saved me a few hours. Okay. (laughs) Matt, I appreciate it. I like bonds. I'm not opposed to them, but right now I'd keep them short duration. Like one to five or how short? Five years or less. Perfect. Okay. Okay. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate the call. We have a program that does buy bonds. We hold in maturity inside there. So we know that they'll go up and down in value, but we'll get the yield and they'll go back to their par value when they mature so that you don't have that huge risk of a bond fund that will go up and down. 888-99 chart, 888-992-4278. You have two minutes left to get your call in. So if you're going to do it, do it now. Uh, The IMF departing chief economist, Maurice Obstfed, he's a professor at UC Berkeley, and he's going back to UC Berkeley, but he's on his way out the door at the IMF, the International Monetary Fund, if uh, you don't know who they are. Uh, This is uh, kind of the a global bank, let's say that, that helps uh, countries who are in trouble. Is a simple way to put it. Uh, They have economists, he's an economist, uh, and he's warning that the global economy is slowing. And the U.S. will likely feel the drag as well. He says the slowdown outside the U.S. to the extent we're seeing signs of that seems to be more dramatic. So uh, a slow rest of the world is getting slower. And he said Asia and European economic data disappointed in the third quarter. In Japan, Germany, for example, GDP shrunk. The U.S. will likely post stronger growth, but he does not expect it to avoid the global downdraft entirely. He says, for the rest of the world, there seems to be some air coming out of the balloon and that I think will come back and also affect the U.S. And he's not typically one that's uh, downbeat. He's, he was the IMF for three years. And in April 2016, he said the global economy would accelerate into 2017, which he was correct on. And the Institute uh, continued to notch up the forecast as synchronized global growth materialized last year. But he also wrote a paper on tariffs, and he see, says it would lead to lower growth, more unemployment, higher inequality, and exchange rate appreciation, meaning stronger dollar. And he sees the probabilities that there's a recession next year, not part of what we call his baseline scenario, but it's certainly possible. Uh, so he's kind of sounding the alarm. And he has some other big questions as well, like how should economies respond to climate change and, and increasing severe weather events? Right, We've had a lot of hurricanes, etc. 
He also says, what about the little understood economic risk from a major cyber event? I think that's huge as we rely more and more on cellular networks and, and, and the internet. How do we respond if all that goes down? And then lastly, he asked, how do central banks reestablish trust? I think this is probably the biggest question. I think they've lost a ton of trust. And I think for good reason. And I think they need to regain it. How do they do it? I'm not sure, but he's asking that question. I asked that as well. Now I'm Justin Klein, and this completes another Invest Talk program. And I think thank you for your loyal support and questions. Now for podcast listeners, you'll be learning much more about Y charts. And did you know that you can get a free Y charts trial and a discount if you mention Invest Talk? Now Steve and I use Y charts almost every day. Thanks for listening. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.